0: We're continuing our series and Sermon on the Mount, drawing to the end of this sermon. And what a what a joy it is to to look at this wonderful sermon and look at it in the context of our Lord's resurrection. That this isn't a sermon that stands by itself in abstraction, this is a sermon given by the King who died and rose again to give us new life in Him. So this is a sermon. This is a body of teaching from that King about life in the Kingdom. This, this amazing Kingdom following the resurrected King and learning to live life in a totally new way under His reign because of His forgiveness, because of His grace, and because of the power that is ours now in Him. That same power that raised Him from the dead is our power. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just principles that stand alone, but they are truths and ways of living that's done in the power of the resurrected Christ. So as we look at this today, I I pray that that is our perspective that this is a call from the resurrected king to live in him, to live in a radical new way of living. So as as we prepare to hear from him about such things, let's pray and ask by the Holy Spirit God with us we might encounter our King and His truth. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your death and your resurrection and your current reign, Lord. Through the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, You are here with us. And we're experiencing Your life. And You speak to us and lead us in these ways. Lord, we need to hear from You. We need to learn of You and Your ways. So we ask You, Lord, would You be here with us? Spirit of God, would You come and pour out Your power in this place on each one here? Lord, on me as I seek to serve You and Your people. Come, Holy Spirit, Teach us and change us and be glorified through us. Lord, that day of Pentecost, Your Spirit was poured out and Your people spilled out into the streets and a great revival followed. Lord, we want to spill out into the streets as You touch us by Your Holy Spirit according to Your truth. So do just this and bring in the harvest. Magnify Your name. Change lives, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Today's passage is a very short one. Jesus is finishing up the sermon here and he's making a number of concluding exhortations. And so over the next weeks into May, we will be looking at each of these different concluding exhortations. Today is only one verse long. Matthew 7:12. the golden rule, very familiar perhaps to, to many of us. Jesus says in verse 12, so whatever you wish, that others would do to you, do also to them. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7 verse 12. Like I said, I imagine many of us are familiar with this. This is called the Golden Rule. Perhaps you remember it in its older style, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Anyone learn that as a kid? The Golden Rule, that's typically how we remember it. It's known, it's very well known throughout our culture. Uh, We see it in many different ways. There's an advertisement uh, that's, I think, running currently that really is a picture of the Golden Rule in action. Has anyone seen the, the ad from Liberty Mutual? Responsibility, what's your policy? And it starts off, there's, there's someone does a good deed for somebody. I think one of the versions is uh, someone's about to walk in front of a, a bus coming down the street, and a person holds them back, Then someone watches them do that, and then they're affected by watching that. Then they go do a good deed. I think that, that, that one, the guy helps someone off the bus, and someone watches him do that, and they help someone take something off the top shelf, and someone sees them doing that. And that's, I think that's a picture from, from the ad, and, and so on. Uh, it's a wonderful commercial. Uh, I, I think it's, it's actually very popular. And there's a whole campaign Liberty Mutual now has in light of that commercial. Really, it's just the golden rule in action. And our culture, we recognize that. And there's an appeal, just an intrinsic appeal of this truth that, that people get. Um, we see it in, in cultures. It, the culture is very familiar with it. Sometimes it's an object of humor as well. You can find examples uh, In comedy, about the the Golden Rule, one that I I pulled that will will speak to those of us who are a little older, is from the Honeymooners. Who here knows who the Honeymooners are? Uh, There's no hand. Oh, there's some younger hands going up. Uh, The Honeymooners, Jackie Gleason and and all those guys, and it was something that ran actually before my time, I'll just have you know, uh, ran before my time. (laughs) I saw the repeats, and so... so I probably was old enough to see the color ones. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, reruns. I'm I'm actually even too young for the original Gilligan's Island. So just in case you're trying to date me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, the the scene from the Honeymooners. Uh, it's Ralph and Norton. Um, Ralph is Jackie Gleason, big guy. Norton is his his sidekick, funny guy who worked in the sewer system or something, right? Real funny. Anyhow, they're eating dinner. And Ralph, uh, this food puts down, and and Norton just digs in. And and Ralph says, "When, when she put two potatoes on the table, one big one and one small one, you immediately took the big one without asking me what I wanted. Norton says, well, what would you have done? I would have taken the small one, of course. Norton says, you would? Yes, I would, says Ralph. So what are you complaining about? You got the small one. So the golden rule is known. We see it throughout the culture uh, in many places. I would submit, as familiar as it is, in concept, it's equally unfamiliar in practice. We all recognize the justice and beauty of this exhortation. But the reality is, Our golden rule is tarnished. When we look at our lives and we consider this truth, there is both the the sentiment of, wow, that is is beautiful. This short summary of how to live is crystal clear, simple, beautiful. But the other sentiment is, when I use this rule against my life, I see I don't measure up. Our golden rule is tarnished. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the golden rule. We're going to take time to look at it. We're going to take time to admire it. In a sense, we're going to pick it up and kind of turn it around a little bit and think about it, consider it, admire it, see its beauty. But then we're going to do what we also need to do is recognize, okay, this is not just something to look at and enjoy. And that, that, that is a legitimate aspect of, of God's Word and of His creation, just seeing the beauty but also recognizing that this is something that Jesus has given to us not just to admire, but to put into practice. It's interesting, actually, the Word of God is like that. Uh, God Himself is like that. He combines both wonderful beauty and glory and tremendously useful and powerful application. They go together in God. Uh, The golden rule is like that. It is both beautiful and supremely useful. And again, God's Word is like that. His creation is like that. You know, There aren't that many man-made things that I can think like that, but if you think about it, that's how God does things. Think of a think of hand. It is hopefully something useful. You can do a lot with the hand, but it is also, uh, maybe not so much my hand, my wife's hand, something that's beautiful and intricate. God's like that. He's a genius. He makes things that are both beautiful, and, and it is legitimate for us just to enjoy the beauty of things but also supremely useful. That's what the golden rule is like. It is beautiful and is useful. So we're going to take time first. I think in your notes this is there. We're going to examine the golden rule. And then we're going to, by grace, seek to polish our golden rule. We're going to examine it and we're going to polish it. We're going to take time to look at it and then take time to understand how we are to live in the golden rule. So let's do that. Well, first, this golden rule uh, is... Interesting, it's an interesting rule, it's so concise, so clear, but it's really built on an assumption here. It's built on the assumption that you love yourself. Now Jesus doesn't say that here, but, but he says, he assumes it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. He assumes that we love ourselves. He assumes that we understand what it is to want your own happiness and to live that way. And what he, from that basis, then he calls us to action. He understands that there is love for self. And he uses that as this reference point to then call us to kingdom living. So he understands and he bases it on what, what we already understand of self-love and then calls us with that basis to something greater and more glorious than mere self-love. He calls us into this way of living in relationship with God that that is more than just simple self-love. It's something better than that. He assumes that we love ourselves. And that is a topic I think we need to address a little bit because actually in Scripture, that assumption is always made throughout Scripture. That we love ourselves. So... Jesus sums up elsewhere the Old Testament and the teaching of God with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we see it elsewhere. Never in Scripture is there a call to love yourself more. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. God loves those made in His image. He loves His people specially not saying that that's not true. But never in Scripture is there a call to love yourself more. We never never are called to love ourselves more. We, we actually don't have a problem in loving ourselves. In our culture, there's this common idea out there that we don't love ourselves enough, that our esteem isn't high enough, our love for self isn't enough, and that's the root of our problems. That's not the testimony of Scripture. Now, there's, there's a little bit of aspect of truth in that. And there's things that we can address in that. But that's not the problem. We do love ourselves. We love ourselves quite a bit. And everything we do is driven out of love for self in some way. In some way. So what we do, our motives, how we see things, is driven by love for self. Even if it is stuff that really isn't good for us in the long run. So, why is an alcoholic an alcoholic? I mean, how can that be love for self, right? We know it's destructive, it's self-destructive. But why is an alcoholic an alcoholic? Well, I don't, I don't pretend to know everybody's motive, but I can think I can generalize to some degree. An alcoholic takes that drink to make themselves feel better. They love themselves, and they don't feel good. Maybe it's just the burden of life. Maybe it's just the craziness of things. Maybe it's some things in the past that happened that. The the person just wants to forget. Whatever it is, that drink represents something better than what they had. It's out of love for self, out of pursuit of happiness that they drink. And we know it's abusive. We know the impact of that, right, the long term. But the person's saying this temporary happiness is worth the trade-off of what's down the road. Now, we know it's not, and that's why it's wrong. But do you see how the motive of love for self is going on? That person doesn't love themselves less. They just love themselves wrongly. And you can take that and really look at everything, every, every motive uh, in our lives. There is that drive of love for self. Um, so someone in an abusive relationship, and I don't try to tease out all the implications. I'm always concerned when I give these examples. Uh, I'm not trying to speak into your situation necessarily. But in abusive relationships, why do people stay in them when, when there's really serious abuse? Well, sometimes it's because they think it's really the best that they can get. It's, it's out of love for self in some ways that they stay there and think that, you know, that maybe there's something good. Maybe I can't get any, any better than what I have here. So even in those situations, there's still a love of self, a desire for one's own happiness. Now it's twisted. It's confused. It's darkened. Indeed, but it is there. That's what's driving the Behavior. Now Christ comes into all this and transforms us and gives us clarity and understanding of how this is supposed to work. So this command here, Jesus is acknowledging that reference point. And it's interesting in Scripture the love of self is never, the love of self is never called to be eliminated from our lives. It's called to be transformed in the Lord. So instead of being the mere love of self, God calls us to something better where we have God at the center and others on equal par with ourselves. And in that transformed way of loving self, where God is supreme and most worthy, and others are alongside of ourselves, now we do it entirely differently. That's what the Lord's calling us to hear in this in this exhortation. To do to others as you want done to yourself. He doesn't say, don't desire anything for yourself. He says, desire and do for others equally with what you desire and do for yourself. So God wants to redeem our self-love and give us a, a new way of loving ourselves with God at the center and with others alongside. Now, Jesus isn't necessarily saying all that right here in this passage. He's really going after what we all understand as the reality that we love ourselves, that we want to do good things for ourselves. And he's using that reference point to call us to have the same attitude toward other people. The same desire for the good of others, for the good of ourselves. we are to apply to others. That's the call that's here. And we all recognize that that is a right and just Command, isn't it? We love ourselves, and it's appropriate to love and care for ourselves. We love ourselves, but really if we think about it, do I have any right to put my own happiness above someone else's? Is there anything intrinsically better about me? Why do I spend my day thinking about my own happiness? How I'm going to make myself happy? What I'm going to do for myself? And not others. Am I more worthy? Am I better than you guys? No. I know I'm not. No, certainly not. Andy's shaking his head. He knows me well. Uh, uh, Certainly not. And so Jesus is bringing this truth that's just so clear and, and intuitively understood. Of course, it is totally right to say that I should be just as devoted to the happiness of others as I am to myself. We understand that. Jesus is bringing this command because of that. It's intuitively understood. John Calvin, in speaking on this passage, speaks of this. He says, When our own advantage is concerned, when our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done. When our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done. Think about that. And since every man shows himself to be a skillful teacher of justice for his own advantage, how comes it that the same knowledge does not readily occur to him when profit or loss of another is at stake? But instead we wish to be wise for ourselves only. And no one cares about his neighbors. When our own advantage is concerned, we we put so much energy into our happiness. How can we think that others are not worthy of the same amount of energy and dedication? That's what Jesus is saying here. That's radical, though, isn't it? We understand, all of us, that it's right, don't we? We know intuitively it's right. We understand that. And... And really, uh, this command and this, this idea is in many other cultures, other philosophies and religions as well. It's a little bit different. and We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we understand it's right. It's just. It's appropriate. And Jesus says it sums up the law and the prophets. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. This commandment to love others, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, sums up the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And, and I don't think he's mean to, to speak of the aspects of the Old Testament commands that talk about our relationship with God. God's in a different category. He deserves first loyalty, uh, supreme loyalty. And we are to find, we are to find actually love for ourselves and loving Him supremely. He transforms all that. That's another topic. I don't think Jesus is addressing those aspects. But the aspects of the law and the prophets that speak of relationships to one another are summed up with this simple command. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Could you imagine could you imagine if we all obeyed the golden rule? If we all thought like this, if we all put the same amount of energy and thought and care in each other's well-being, and society's well-being as we put into our own, would, would we need speed limits? Would we need a criminal code? Would we need laws, federal and state laws? Would we need a constitution? I don't know. I don't think so. I think if we all did that, if we all obeyed the golden rule, we'd get rid of all the other laws. If we truly did it and we put the same amount of energy, creative energy and thought and intellect and action, how can I do good for others? How can I bless my spouse, my children, my my extended family, my church, my neighbors, my community, my country? If we put the same amount of energy into that as we put into our own happiness, I don't think we'd need any other laws. Imagine what it would be like. That's why Jesus says this sums up the law and the prophets. I would submit not only The Old Testament, but the New Testament teaching on relating to one another, it sums up as well. It's one book, one God. So the new life in Christ can be summed up this way. If you just want a handy way to think about what you're called to in Christ, it's the golden rule. Do to others as you'd have them do to yourself. As you'd have them do unto you. Live this way. That's the summer on the mount in many ways. Live this way. We're called to this. It's right. It's good. It sums up all these things. It is a golden rule. It is perfect. It's concise. It's glorious. It's good. And other cultures acknowledge this in part. I think we have a number of quotes to put up from different philosophies and faiths, Greek philosophy. Socrates, a student of Socrates, I believe, do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others. Buddhism, putting oneself in the place of another, one should not kill nor cause another to kill. Confucius, what you you do not want others to do to you, do not do unto others. Hinduism, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Uh, Islam, hurt no one so so that no one may hurt you. Do you notice, this is very common throughout Different cultures. But do you notice a difference between these and what Jesus said? What's the difference? These are the negative, right? This is don't do bad things to others that you wouldn't want done to yourself. Jesus flips it. No, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. Do to others what you want done to yourself. These commands are kind of like saying, don't burn your neighbor's house down while he's in it. Don't burn it down at all, actually, right? Don't burn your neighbor's house down. Because you wouldn't want your house burned down, right? That's actually pretty, I can do that one. I like that. That's pretty achievable, I I think. I don't think I've ever done anything like that. Um, But Jesus doesn't say, don't burn your neighbor's house down. He says, build your neighbor a house. Build your homeless neighbor a house. Because if you were homeless, you'd want a house radically different, radically superior. We recognize the justice of this. We recognize the justice of what Jesus says, and it is even more glorious. But we can do that, I think. But when I contemplate the golden rule, I see, and I think we see, it is good, it's right. But the reality is, We fall short of it. This golden rule measured against my life shows me wanting. And that's not okay. It's not okay. It's not acceptable to love others less than you love yourself. It's not. You have no right. I have no right. It's unjust. It's wrong. And we do it. We fall short. We try to find loopholes. Okay, I know this command's there. I know it's good, but, you know, maybe just for those real close to me. I mean, it's just, I mean, do you expect me to walk down the street and stop to every stranger and build them a house? I mean, that's ridiculous. Just for people nearby, my family. Okay, let's just take your family. For those of you who are married, take, think of your spouse. For those of you uh, children, think of a sibling. Today, did you think equally of their good and happiness as your own? When you got up, When you woke up and you thought about today, what got you out of bed? What motivated you to to get going, to go in the day? I don't know. It could be a number of different things. Was the good of your sibling or your spouse at the forefront of your mind? Anybody? Can we have a volunteer to come up, actually, and come up, and and I want to just interview you and go over your morning and just ask you, interact with you about your thoughts and what you did, and just to see how much of your thoughts were about your sibling or your spouse, all right? And how much were about you, all right? Any volunteers? I'm only kidding, Taylor. I don't think you want to come up here, buddy. But thank you for your courage. You're probably just willing to let us see your shortcomings, and that's fine. Sorry. I should have told you it was rhetorical. The purpose is, the point is that I think for Taylor, for any of us, we would come up and weigh those things. If we really went through our thoughts, we would see whoa, predominant thoughts that I've had have been about myself, even with those closest to me. It's been that way. The reality is, the golden rule is beautiful, it's perfect, it's right, but we fall short, tremendously short short of this golden rule and our rule our golden rule is severely tarnished if the banker could come up and and that's all I have to say we're going to close with that no I'm only kidding Um, that would be terrible there's more to the story (laughs) thank God (laughs) thank God there's more to the story right this rule was given by whom? God, Jesus gave this rule. And the rules of Scripture are given by God. Actually, all truth, all good things are given by God. This golden rule must not be abstracted from God Himself. And all the commands of God must not be abstracted from God Himself. It is dangerous. It is wrong. It is foolish to abstract truth from God. Jesus gave us the golden rule. And we're never meant to interact with the golden rule or any commands of God apart from Him. We desperately need Him. So when He gives this golden rule, He understands that. He understands He comes as Savior and King to our lives. And He calls us to this standard so that we might understand, first, it's right and it's good and it's beautiful. Secondly, I miserably fail. Third, I need to look to Him to help me somehow. He gave this rule. And He has come. We learn in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He has come to fulfill All the law of God, all the law and the prophets, He has come to fulfill. And where we fell short of the golden rule, He never did. He never did. He certainly loved and cared for Himself. It's appropriate to do that. Scripture never calls us to deny self to the point of elimination. But He put His Father's glory first. And He put our good alongside His own And in his whole life, he lived for the glory of God. He lived for the good of others. He put energy and life and creativity into the good of his people to the point of living a perfect life and dying on the cross for our sins, for his people's sins, for the sins of anyone who would recognize they fall short of the golden rule and they need a Savior in Christ. He came to pay for that penalty. It is not okay that we fall short of the golden rule. It's not okay. Justice demands we obey it. And justice demands that disobedience be dealt with. But a merciful Savior gave the command and a merciful Savior fulfilled the command. A merciful Savior fulfilled all of the law and the prophets in every way. And his actions and his attitude and who he was. And he went to the cross as the climax to pay the curse promise to those who disobey the golden rule. That the blessing given to the one who obeys it might be received by those who don't deserve. And the Father approved and raised him from the dead. And we must recognize that Christ is the only one who has fulfilled this beautiful, glorious rule without blemish, without mistake, without sin, perfectly. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news? That has to fill our minds and hearts when we come at the golden rule. Christ fulfilled it. And just as glorious as this golden rule is, the fulfiller of it is even more glorious. If we had interviewed him, we would find him pure and faithful and right, and good in every way. An acceptable sacrifice to the Father on behalf of sinners. The fulfiller of all these things who gave Himself. So when we see this golden rule, we we are indeed to see its beauty and we are indeed to be ashamed at our shortcomings of it. But we don't stop there. Like Thomas... We reach out. We see the scarred hands. The spear mark in the side. And we recognize he's given himself for us. He's our Lord and our God. And there's forgiveness for our shortcomings. It, it doesn't mean light, to make light of them. It doesn't mean to say it's okay. What it does mean is they are forgiven completely by the Savior offered for us. And we are forgiven, we are cleansed, and we are accepted. His righteousness is acceptable to the Lord and it is ultimately our righteousness before the Father. We have fallen short. We deserve condemnation and exile. Christ has earned eternal life and offered forgiveness and acceptance to us in Him. So, the golden rule Is given by a glorious Savior and we look to that Savior as we contemplate the golden rule and we recognize we're forgiven and accepted. But it doesn't just stop there because this rule was not just given as some sort of theological tool to get us to repent and then that's it. No, we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount that He's given us these truths in the Sermon on the Mount to call us to radical kingdom living, to call us to a new way of life that's radically different than what we would do naturally or in the world. A radical new way to be like our King and to know His life given for us, to know His love for us, and to find ourselves in Him, to die to selfish living Merely living for ourselves to live in Him, to receive His love and lose ourselves in Him. And now find our self-love transformed into love for God and love for others. Yes, we care for ourselves, but it's totally transformed and changed by the Savior. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That verse for Paul, I believe, could be a life verse. And he's saying, my life has been radically changed. I no longer live in the way I used to. I've been crucified with Him to self in this old way. I've died, but now I'm alive in Him and his, He has loved me. That's where I find my life. And now I live for Him and I live for others. It's a radical transformation. And this is what we are called to. We are called to a new way of life in Christ, to love like He does and to live the golden rule by His grace. Yes, we're going to fall short. But life in Him is life under Him and in His power to love like Him. And the standard is the golden rule. That's what he calls us to. That's the call to believers. It's that radical. Now, as we listen to that, when we think of it being radical, it is indeed radical, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you must be radical in some radical way. In light of this truth, in light of this passage, you don't need to sell all your possessions necessarily and move to India to minister to the untouchables or whatever other application might be there. There's plenty of opportunity already around you to live the golden rule. God is sovereign over our lives and we are in situations that are not by chance merely. And there's plenty of opportunity right around us if we open up our eyes. Plenty of folks around us, family members, friends, neighbors, that God calls us to love. And a second thing to understand with that is God understands that we live in a body and in a world that's still broken. We are forgiven. We are accepted in Christ. And He is patient with us. He wants us to take steps, step by step, small step by small step. So receive the grace that we have in Christ. And hear the call to take steps, step by step, to progress in these things, to, to grow in loving others, step by step. So there's plenty of opportunities around us, plenty of things nearby for us to do. Uh, this week... Uh, I was reading this tragic story of Phoebe Prince. Uh, I'm sure most of you have heard about the story, the the freshman high school student from South Hadley. Maybe it's because I have a freshman daughter and I could identify with her. And I know you guys know the story. After incessant bullying from her classmates, uh, she took her life. Every now and then there's a news story that kind of grabs you, grabs me, that's more than just information. And this was one of those. And I really was sad to see that this life was so tragically lost. And I also was outraged that nobody did anything, so it appears. Stop it. How many people were around her life? Certainly her classmates. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Perhaps teachers, I don't know. The story looks like there was opportunity to do something that wasn't taken. Perhaps parents, I don't know. So I was saddened. I was outraged, but then I also remembered that I had been a bully myself. I had been full of the same pride and cruelty, perhaps, that her classmates had. And Christ rescued me from my sin. I know what I was like. And I think my wickedness was probably greater than her classmates. I'm so glad, by God's mercy, that my cruelty didn't result in something like this. And I'm so glad that He's rescued me and paid for my sins. Because I, I fell short. And there were many lives I didn't touch and didn't love. And I knew the golden rule. Maybe it's, it is too late to do anything for Phoebe Prince and South Hadley. But it's not too late to do something for somebody in Haverhill or wherever you are. And there's plenty of opportunities around us to do something what difference it would have made in her life if somebody perhaps had offered encouragement, kindness. Somebody had been patient or more patient with her. I'm sure she had shortcomings and things that were hard to deal with as well. Perhaps it was patience, understanding, friendship, help of some kind. We can all offer those things, and God has given us plenty of people around us to do for them what we would want done for us. I don't say this so you can feel bad about, or guilty, I mean, about Phoebe Prince. But maybe we do need to be convicted about the Phoebe Princes in our lives. Family members, to start with. As the band comes up, let us recognize this call. Let us receive the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. But let us also resolve by grace to take some steps. To take some steps of action. So as the band comes up, we're just going to take a minute. Maybe these guys can play just for a minute or so. And let's just take a small step. Just think of one person, one thing to do. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be simple. It can be take your son out for father-son time. Take your daughter out. Write a card of encouragement to a friend. Invite someone over for coffee. Reach out to a classmate who is isolated. A workmate. A neighbor. Do it prayerfully. Ask the Lord for help. You need Him. We need Him. I need Him. But is there some small step to take? to live this radically new life we have in Christ following the golden rule. After we take a minute, we'll finish in song.